Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 25. Tristram joins the club. The day of the great tournament at the Castle of the Hard Rock arrived. Sir Tristram of Lyons turned up totally unaware that he was about to cause consternation at the court of King Arthur. The shield he was carrying, given to him by Morgan le Fay, displayed a knight standing over a king and queen. It was a clear hint that the queen was cheating with one of King Arthur's own knights. Arthur was oblivious to this. When he saw the shield, he wondered who the knight carrying it was and what it was supposed to mean. He was soon put in the picture. A young lady sidled up to him and spoke. My lord, the message on that shield was meant for you. It is a warning of shame and dishonour that will be brought upon you and your queen. With that she slipped away. Guinevere, on the other hand, knew immediately what the picture was saying. She complained to Sir Hector de Maris that it must have been sent by Morgan le Fay. She dreaded, she told Sir Lancelot's brother, the time when her love for Lancelot was discovered. She was very afraid that now was the time. King Arthur watched the tournament and saw the knight with the picture shield do wondrous deeds. He wondered aloud to Sir Uwain who the knight was. It couldn't be Sir Lancelot, as he was away trying to find Sir Tristram. It couldn't be Sir Tristram, because Lancelot was away trying to find him. The king and his nephew wrapped their brains, but they couldn't work it out. King Arthur glanced up at the queen. She saw him look at her, and her blood ran cold with dread. Was she about to be discovered? At the end of the day, King Arthur and Sir Uwain rode up to the knight. "'Tell me, Sir Knight,' said the king, "'where did you get that shield, and what does it mean?' It was given to me by Morgan le Fay, sister to King Arthur himself, came the reply. I didn't ask to wear it, it was forced upon me, and I don't know what it means. You should not wear arms if you don't know what they depict, said King Arthur disapprovingly. Tell me, what is your name? I cannot tell you, replied Sir Tristram. Then we must do battle, said Arthur decisively. Tristram complained that he had been fighting all day, and that demanding to joust with him now really wasn't on but King Arthur was insistent. They rode apart from each other and mounted their spears. Then they charged. Arthur hit Tristram squarely on the disputed shield, and his spear splintered. Tristram hit King Arthur so hard that both man and horse fell to the ground. Sir Uwain then demanded that Tristram fight with him, and exactly the same thing happened. Tristram looked down at both men lying on the ground. Inside his helmet, his face creased into a scowl. Fair knights, I had no need to joust with you. I have had enough to do today. With that, he rode off. King Arthur and Sir Uwain were none the wiser. They still didn't know who this knight was, and they didn't know the meaning of the shield. Guinevere, although she didn't yet know it, was safe for now. Her husband had not understood what Morgan was trying to tell him. For now her secret was safe. Arthur dispatched two of his nephews to go and find the knight. Sir Gawain and Sir Gaheris rode out, promising never to return until they had brought the knight back to Camelot. If Tristram thought his day's fighting was over, though, he had another think coming. He spotted ten knights attacking a single knight. The lone knight was putting up a pretty good fight, but was clearly getting tired, and Tristram's sense of fair play got the better of him. The lone knight had managed to kill most of their horses, and the knights were now attacking him on foot. Tristram jumped from his horse, drew his sword, and charged into the middle of the battle. He swung his weapon left and right, doing considerable damage to the group of attackers. After a few minutes, they'd had enough, and they ran away. Tristram gave chase, but they all disappeared into a nearby tower. 
Tristram felt a lot better about himself, having saved the knight. The Sir of Unfortunate Events, though, was in for a shock when he approached the helmeted knight and asked him who he was. "'My name is Sir Palamedes.' "'Oh, for God's sake!' lamented an exasperated Tristram. "'I have just rescued the knight I hate most in the world. "'Right, stand up and do battle with me.' "'Why?' asked Palamedes, rather confused. "'I am Sir Tristram of Lyons, your mortal enemy.' "'Well, that you may be,' said Palamedes decisively. "'But I am far too badly injured to do battle with you today. "'It would not be a fair fight. "'Let me recover. "'Name a date, and I will battle you then.' "'Fair enough.' said Tristram. Meet me in two weeks' time at the tombstone in the meadow by the river in Camelot. We will do battle then. Palamedes nodded, and they rode off in silence. Before long, they came across a fully armoured knight asleep by a tree. Tristram prodded the knight with his spear, and he awoke instantly and jumped off. Then, without saying a thing, he launched himself at the startled Tristram and knocked him off his horse. Palamedes received the same treatment. The knight rode off. Sir Palamedes decided enough was enough for the day, and he rode away to find somewhere to rest and be healed. Tristram picked himself up, remounted his horse, and rode off in the direction the knight had disappeared. He was going to track this mighty warrior down. The trail of the strong knight was not hard to follow. First, Tristram came across a lady weeping over the body of her dead husband. He had, she told Tristram, been slain by a strong knight, who told them that he hated everyone who was a member of King Arthur's court. A couple of days later, he encountered Sir Gawain and Sir Bloberis, who told him they had both been defeated, jousting with a strong knight who hated all knights of King Arthur. The next day, Tristram met Sir Kay and Sir Dinadan. He told them he was seeking a strong knight who had defeated him and Sir Palamedes, killed a knight, and then beaten Sir Gawain and Sir Bloberis. "'We have also encountered this knight,' answered Kay. "'We lodged at the same place as him,' and when we told him we were from King Arthur's court, he told us he hated all of King Arthur's knights, and especially loathed Queen Guinevere. He demanded to fight with us. He beat me easily, and then my brave companion ran away. Sir Dinadan grinned. Tristram rode on. He was determined to find the strong knight, but the day was approaching on which he was due to fight Sir Palamedes in the meadow by the river in Camelot. He urged his horse on faster, and quickly covered the distance to the meeting place. There he met with his servant Governale, and they waited for the arrival of Tristram's opponent. Before long, a knight, dressed entirely in white, approached, accompanied by a squire. Sir Tristram prepared to do battle with the knight he hated most in the world. Governale sat down by a tombstone in the meadow, ready to watch the action. The squire sat down next to him, making himself comfortable by leaning against the tombstone. "'Welcome, Sir Knight. You have kept your promise,' said Tristram. His opponent said nothing. Tristram had already beaten Sir Palamedes a few times, so he was not unduly worried about facing him again. The two knights dressed their shields and spears, and rode apart, ready to charge. The signal was given, and they hurtled towards each other. They met, and hit each other with such fierceness, that both men were thrown from their horses, and both horses also fell to the earth. The knights drew their swords." The gleaming blades flashed through the air countless times. The knights struck each other hard and with great accuracy, and each wounded the other sorely. Blood ran thick and red onto the ground until the grass was scarlet. An hour passed, and then another. Neither man took a step back, and neither man could gain the upper hand. Neither man spoke. They just kept fighting. 
After four hours of the most terrible fighting imaginable, Governale began to get worried, but he didn't want to show it. He leaned over to the squire and spoke. I am amazed by the blows that my master has given yours. Your master has received more blows than he has given, came the reply. It's a pity these knights do each other so much damage, admitted Governale. It seems that the squire agreed with him, because they both began to weep, scared that their masters would not survive the day. The two knights seemed to have reached some sort of impasse, because after four hours of hacking each other to pieces, one of them began to speak. Sir Tristram's opponent asked him a question. Knight, you fight better than any knight I have ever battled. Please, what is your name? Tristram was shocked. He had arranged to meet Sir Palamedes and fight with him. He was fighting with a knight on the agreed day. But if it was Sir Palamedes he was fighting, then why was he asking him what his name was? Governale and the squire noticed that the two knights had stopped fighting and stood up to see if they were needed. As they rose, both turned to pick up their things and noticed the tombstone which they had been leaning on was not an ordinary one. On it, in gleaming golden letters which seemed to shimmer magically, were written these words. In this place there will be a battle between the two finest knights in the world, Sir Tristram of Lyons and Sir Lancelot of the Lake. Finally the two servants knew why the battle had been so fierce and why there had been no winner. A few seconds later the two knights knew it as well. Sir, said Sir Tristram to his opponent, who was very clearly not Sir Palamedes, I do not normally tell my name, perhaps you should tell me yours. I have no problem with that, I am Sir Lancelot of the Lake. Deep down, Sir Tristram had probably already guessed that it was Lancelot he had been fighting. He replied softly, Sir, you are the man in the world which I most love. I have been longing to meet you, and I am sad I have hurt you so badly. My name is Sir Tristram of Lyons. Lancelot removed his helmet and kneeled down. He then offered up his sword and yielded to Tristram. Tristram, though, realised they had fought a very honourable draw and refused to accept that Lancelot should yield to him. Instead, he yielded to Lancelot. The two knights decided they should both yield to the other. They wandered over to the tombstone where their squires were standing and took off their helmets. When they reached the tomb, they looked at the words written on it and smiled. They pretended that they wished they'd seen the writing before they had fought, as it would have saved them a lot of trouble. Deep down, though, each was proud of how well he had done, and glad he had had the chance to battle the other. As they chatted, they saw two knights approaching. It was Sir Gawain and Sir Gaheris. Gawain nodded to Lancelot, and said that he'd promised never to return to Camelot unless he brought with him the great knight Sir Tristram. Lancelot smiled. Well, old best friend of mine, I've saved you a job. Here he is. Marvellous, exclaimed Gawain. I was getting a bit tired of riding round on wild goose chases. Sir Tristram, it is my honour to meet you, and now you must return to Camelot with me. The four knights rode to the court of King Arthur. There they were greeted by the king. Sir Tristram told the story of how he'd arranged to meet Sir Palamedes to do battle, but that he'd followed the strong knight and instead met with Sir Lancelot. Lancelot admitted that he was the strong knight, he had been wandering around the countryside incognito, pretending to hate the court of King Arthur, taking on anyone he met. It's amazing what knights will do when they're bored. King Arthur asked Tristram to stay, but Tristram insisted that he couldn't. Arthur insisted even more strongly that he could. The knight from Cornwall was led to an empty siege that had once belonged to Sir Marhaus. The knight from Ireland had been slain by Sir Tristram, 
and his siege had remained empty ever since. The knights looked down at the siege. On it was written, in gold letters, This is the siege of the noble knight Sir Tristram. Tristram knew that he belonged at the round table and agreed to stay. Sir Tristram of Lyons had joined the club at last. Everyone was delighted that Sir Tristram was now a knight of the round table. Everyone, that is, except one man. Back in Cornwall, King Mark was very worried. He had tried to have Tristram killed at least twice and banished him three times. His barons had warned him not to make an enemy of Tristram and especially not to let him join the court of King Arthur. Then he would have many more powerful friends and be a great danger to the King of Cornwall. He sent messengers out to find out what was going on. He was extremely concerned when he learned about Tristram joining the Order of the Round Table. La Bellisude, on the other hand, was very pleased. King Mark decided that Sir Tristram was just too dangerous. He needed to be got rid of. Taking two of his knights, Sir Bersouls and Sir Amant, with him, he secretly travelled to England. He didn't tell his knights why they were going. Murder and treachery was on his mind as the king crossed the border and made for Camelot. Having found out from a knight-errant that Tristram was at the court of King Arthur, King Mark spoke to his knights. Now, you two are the men I most trust. This is what we are going to do. We are going to go to Camelot and seek out Sir Tristram. Then, by fair means, or more probably very foul means, we will dispose of him. Hold on a minute, replied Sir Bersules. This is shameful in the extreme. Sir Tristram is a knight of the highest honour. I must warn you that I will take no part in the treacherous slaying of such a man. I demand you release me from your service. King Mark released Sir Bersules from his service. He also released him from all other forms of service. In fact, he released the poor knight from having the burden of having to carry on living, as he raised his sword and brought it down hard, cutting poor Sir Bersules' head in half, right down to the teeth. He was about to kill Sir Amant too, as he also refused to go and kill Tristram. He was talked out of it by his squires, and he let Sir Amant go. Amant promised, though, not to tell anyone that King Mark was on his way to Camelot. As Mark rode on towards his objective, he came across a knight by a fountain. The knight was weeping, and King Mark hid and listened to him. This is what he heard. O oh, fair Queen of Orkney, King Lot's wife, and mother of Sir Gawain and Sir Gaheris, I am in great pain. I love you more than you will ever know, and I long to be with you. It was Sir Lamorak of Wales. It seems he was very much in love with the Queen of Orkney. Given that his father was King Pellinore, who had killed King Lot, it was probably a good thing he hadn't done anything about it. Unfortunately, love is a powerful thing. Sir Lamorak was determined to be with Morgors. He would soon find out that the Orkney brothers would not stand by and watch while he carried on with their mother. King Mark was about to reveal himself when Sir Dinadan appeared. Mark strode out into the open and spoke to the two knights. It was obvious from his accent that he was from Cornwall, and both Sir Lamorak and Sir Dinadan mocked him from being from that country. They told him that they had the worst king in the world, King Mark, who hated the noble knight Sir Tristram. They told him that this King Mark didn't deserve to be married to a woman as beautiful as La Belle Isoude. King Mark was very glad they didn't realise they were talking to this dreadful king. He also became more determined to do away with Tristram. Sir Dinadan and Sir Lamorak soon discovered the man they were with was actually King Mark. They rode with him for a while, telling him how dreadful they thought he was. When they spotted another six knights riding by, Sir Dinadan, the knight with a sense of humour, decided to teach the king a lesson. 
Look over there at those knights, he said. Their leader is Sir Lancelot of the Lake. See that shield? It is the shield of Arthur's greatest knight. It wasn't, of course. It was actually Sir Mordred, who was out with his brother Sir Agravaine, Sir Uwain, and three others. Sir Dinadan rode down to the knights, and told them that King Mark was hiding a little way away from them. Mordred took off his armour and shield, and gave them to Dragonet, King Arthur's court fool. Dragonet was a jester, not a knight. They put Dragonet on a horse, and told him to ride towards the place where King Mark was hiding. The seven knights watched as King Mark launched himself from his hiding place and galloped away as fast as he could. He was ranting and crying with fear as he was closely followed by a man he thought was Sir Lancelot coming to get him. Whimpering and petrified, he disappeared into the distance, followed by Dragonet. Sir Dinadan and the others laughed until they couldn't laugh any more. Mordred could hardly stand up for merriment and even Agravain was unable to speak for laughing. Dragonet returned to the party, giggling. King Mark was by now only a speck, far, far away. The king's hatred for Sir Tristram and all of King Arthur's knights simply grew. His determination to do away with Tristram was unwavering. There was no way that this was going to end well. Next time, we will see what happens when King Mark comes looking for Tristram yet again. I am on a business trip in Hong Kong next week, so the next episode of The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights will be in two weeks' time. So until then, have a great fortnight, and I'll speak to you next time.